1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. I am so very excited to have you all here with us today. This is such a great interview. We are very excited to have Mike Mayashiro on with us, and his story is absolutely fantastic. Um, we, Sarah and I both just loved having this just great conversation and this um, just opportunity to talk about a lot of different things from from leaving ministry to coming out to trying to contextualize or figure out these odd spiritual experiences that we have that sometimes you don't know what to do with this um, interview has it all and we're so very excited to be able to share it with you just a quick reminder if you want to have more conversations like this with like-minded people or people that are thinking about getting out of ministry or getting out of whatever you're trying to get out of or just becoming yourself our recovery community is uh, on discord and we would love to have you there so check out patreon.com slash revcovery for more details on that so without further ado we're going to get to the interview because this is a great one uh, this is our interview with mike mayashiro Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. We are excited today to be welcoming a friend. Um, I decided that you were our friend, Mike. You're welcome. And this is a show, of course, as we said in the introduction, for folks who have been in ministry or maybe you volunteered a lot or maybe you're switching your careers, maybe you were a surgeon and it's not working for you anymore and you just need someone to talk to about leaving something that a lot of other people think is good. So this is a place for us to chat through those things. And we're excited today, again, like I said, to introduce our friend, Mike. So Mike, you are ill-prepared for the question that we start with. We always ask people, like, how long were you in and what were you in for, which either can refer to ministry or prison. So Mike, <laughs> how long were you in? Where were you in uh, ministry? And what kind of were your tasks and whatnot? Is there a place that we start? Wow. Okay, great. I was. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Excited. I was <laughs> in ministry for about 16 years. I started. I started in a Baptist world. Mm-hmm. I went to YOM for six months. Yeah, nice. you did. Yes, I did, and then landed at Bethel Church yeah. in Redding, California. So my Christian arc was, you know, a little colorful. <laughs> the Baptist to I would think that pipeline is pretty big, like the YOM to Bethel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, there were a lot of YWAMers there. That's true. But not a ton of I don't know that a ton of Baptist people go to like YWAM. You know, I don't know if that's a huge shift. Or maybe maybe not. Maybe like what I understand is Baptist is not the same. Baptists have be, so many different stripes, like and that's true. That's and, true. I mean I think technically they're like congregational, so any church can be anything, but kind of. It's a it's an odd 
It's an odd thing. I recognize too that I never introduced my co-hosts today, but I'm Sarah and this is Justin, but usually it's because fine. I usually say, I'm Sarah and this is, and then for whatever reason, Justin pauses for just, an exceptional it, long time. I, you know, I, I see what I'm doing is I'm actually, I am, I am, it's like a bit of performance art. I'm channeling the whole identity crisis that comes with <laughs> rub covering and <laughs> I'm I am unsure even of my own name some days. So <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. We've we all are. been there. Mike, I would love to know. So you you know, YWAM is for those who don't know, we shouldn't have we acted like everyone would know. YWAM is a youth organization, real youth-ish, right? Like it does mission work. What's it stand for? It's Youth with a with Mission. A mission. Yes. Youth yeah. with a mission. Mm. Yep. So those who aren't involved are youth without a mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're all YWAMers one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is, how long is it usually for? Depends on the schooling, but the discipleship training school is like the opening introductory course and it's like six months. Okay. And then there's a lot of options after that, but yeah. Right. Some people do like, our friend Kevin did an amazing race. They did that. Is that YWAM related? Not the like TV one. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. No, it's a similar kind of thing, but different organization. Yeah. And then I think Corey Pig, I think, did YWAM as well. And, and it's definitely this, uh, this sense that you often go to foreign places. Is that correct? Yep. And it's almost like it has that sort of clubhouse feel, like a Young Life sort of vibe. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I work in a coffee shop, so I hear people talk about these things all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on the corporate side, so I can just like stop and listen. But I do hear a lot of people, it's this sort of like you go, you share about Jesus and you hang out, you just love on youth. Is that right? That's a general, like loose structure. Yeah. That's the gist. Yeah. There are a lot of like unique ways that that expresses itself, but yeah, that's the, that's the goal. Where were you? I was in Japan. Oh, that's cool. That was cool. I love Japan. I'm tall in Japan, which I just think is fantastic. (laughs) Anywhere I can. How tall are you? I'm 5'4. Which is like aggressively tall in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am, I'm six foot. And when I was in Japan and Mongolia, I was hitting my head on things all the time. And I, this, I was just on a mission trip. So I was like, you know, the Lord can't call me to this place. I need to go to <laughs> Scandinavia or somewhere that where people are as tall, height? if not taller than me. Because I, mm. I couldn't do it. So if you landed at Bethel, were you required to go to a school through them? I was not required. I chose, I went to Bethel because of a spiritual pilgrimage that I was on. And I decided while I was there that I would do the ministry school because it felt like one of the most immersive ways to plug into Mm. the culture and learn. So I did first and second year there, but it wasn't a requirement. Um, I just wanted to go. I didn't know if being on staff there was, um, if it was a requirement for being on staff there. It's not. I mean, you're definitely like kind of, this sounds really intense and it's not as intense as it sounds, but you're kind of like looked at and frowned upon a little bit if you didn't do the school. Most of us did, but there are some people, there were some variables and anomalies who did not do the school and got a job, you know, So, but most of us had done school. And what was your position at Bethel? Um, I was in the events department, so I helped run the conference world. Um, I was an administrator on that team, so or a few different hats, but I started there. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, and the experience, it sounds like you don't feel that, like it was okay, like it was an R-rated experience. 
Well, that's the thing is like, it was awesome until it wasn't. I had a great time and loved it there. But the problem is like, when I look back on my experiences, there were so many parts of it that I've rose colored lenses about yeah. that were not awesome. But I was so deeply closeted and just did not know how to advocate myself for myself and didn't value myself like I do now. So I like tolerated and enabled abusive treatment and behavior because mm. I didn't know any better. I didn't understand that that was not okay or inappropriate. So yeah. a lot of those memories are still like filtered by that guy, right? I'm not him anymore, but I still have the memories and emotions that came with being him. Right. Um, so, you know, I had a great time at Bethel. I really enjoyed my experience. And then when I, as my spiritual pilgrimage continued to go and like, if, as it, I evolved, eventually I had to come out as a gay man and Bethel doesn't like that. So it got really ugly, really fast. <laughs> and then that left a really like distinct, painful, you know, mark on my life. And Bethel oh, just sure. kind of got marked by all of that. So I have a lot of fun and beautiful and transformative memories within my closeted time at Bethel. And then if I step into the present and look back, I'm like, man, there's so many things that were wrong with so much of that. But so yeah, it's a mixed bag for sure. Yeah. That's kind of the grief we, I think a lot of folks in our, so we have a discord channel for folks who are um, listeners of the show. And so our Patreon supporters who are fantastic. And a lot of times the thing that is most surprising for people is sort of grieving who you once were and looking at things that we're so formative mm -hmm. and trying to figure out where to put it. And by that, I mean, was that a good experience? Yeah. <laughs> it felt like, a, and is it okay if it was a good experience? Because mm. a lot of folks, the transition of, of kind of what you call a spiritual pilgrimage, absolutely, that's a great way to put it. When they get to a point, look back and think like, either I was complicit in things that I really upset me, but there was like actual human connection, which we all long for. And we, you know, and, and for some of us, like I got to do incredible advocacy work. Like that's awesome. But there were some things that behind that were, you know, absolutely devastating and hard and hurtful. And how do you, you know, I think it is a bit of the messy grief of soup. And I, it takes years, I think. Um, yeah. Because stuff will come back that you're like, wow, that was a really great experience. Nope, it wasn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, or, or it, yeah, I think it like those rose-colored memories get like recolored a little bit, and mm -hmm. they get, yeah, it's 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 a like to me, it's always unfolding, and I I have to keep reminding myself like, okay, I'm here where I am now though because of that, and 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 there are good things about where I'm at now too, and so I. It's always that thing, like if you could go back and change one thing, you know, what would you change? And it's like, well, I mean, I, I can't predict what would have happened if I had changed something. So right. for me, it would probably be um, when I decided that my brother needed frosted tips. You know, that's probably the <laughs> you thing. Know, like, that's a for sure never helped anybody. Yeah, there, there is. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I, you know, because I wasn't really good at it and turned orange, but. <laughs> Um, I think I think there is just this sense of like, how do I look at something and both see it as the thing that developed me into who I am, right? Like, Mike, you got all these skills and gifts and, and in a weird way, you've got a platform for people who need you now. And I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but people whose lives have been, where would they go? I mean, one of the things that I love about your social media is the moments when you share, because both Justin and I have experienced this. 
and I think you experience this even on a bigger level, they have nowhere to go to have the conversation. So if, uh, if they themselves are queer, they're so, there's no one who can just sit with it and care for them and tell them like it's a, it's a safe space to go, but also for people who are trying to make that transition, you know, and there's nowhere to go. And so if you had not yourself been closeted, you know, what, what would the story look like? And that's a hard thing. How do you, both the thing that damaged you has, you know, um, what Richard Rohr, Father Rohr calls a wounded healer as well. Like, how do you, oh, and it's so messy because I'm, I'm not glad that Mike went through that, but also like mm-hmm. uh, what a gift it is to the world, yeah, right? Totally. That is, it's a tough question. Like, what would you change? I'm like, that's true. If you changed, you know, something back then, what would you lose? What are you giving up? Yeah. When you change right. that. And, yeah, that's true. It's, that'd be tough. So as you sit with it, so if you don't mind going back to, could we go to your most painful time? Let's do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, for most of our guests, the weird thing is 2016 is like the mo- they're like it was 2016 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason. That was like a huge transition for so many people. I feel like this podcast could be called like so in 2016 dot 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 like because it. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, someone today or yesterday, I was again chatting with a group of people, and this girl was like, "Yeah, they're kind of like that neighborhood's like a little January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay," and it was exactly what that right. means. Exactly. I'm thinking now we just drop dates. It's like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> um, but how as you're so you worked in events and. Obviously, like, well, not obviously, like, when did you yourself think this isn't working? Like, so you're, you're deeply closeted for a long time. Had there been like one foot out? Had, was there ever anyone within the structure that you were sharing that with? Were you honest with yourself? Kind of, can you share a little bit of that? Yeah. Um, Of that really painful story? Yeah. Well, so part of the story is like, I started in events and then as I was working at Bethel, I got, I was just very connected to people and I got invited to lead mission trips for the school and take interns and mentor them for the third year program. And then I started teaching in this ministry school and I got kicked out of school, by the way, like the last day of second year, I got kicked out for being gay. Somebody outed me. So that was drama we had to work through. Um, So I got way more involved than just my job and that, so you're saying you were gay before. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just love when people are like, oh, when did you become gay? Yeah, I thought, <laughs> oh, so I was, that's not how that works. I thought yeah, you I was, were exposed to like a couple on television <laughs> and then they made you gay. <laughs> I, I thought, wow. No, I found things. this... I found this like queer book in the back of the Bethel bookstore and <laughs> a banned book. read it. And then, yeah, it was a banned book that was just sitting back there and I read it. And then I just like all of a sudden like turned gay. It was really awkward. Wow. Was that the Bible? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in all of that, I, I was fully immersed. I loved what I was doing, what I was a part of. I wanted my future to be Bethel. You know, like I just, I had found it and all that. So I had been honest with a couple of people. I was I told a friend of mine in first year, and then she's the one who outed me in second year, and oh. that's the reason I got kicked out. And then because I got kicked out, I had to work with a couple of leaders. Um, I didn't want to just run and like leave. I was like, what what do I need to do to like you know still be involved? I still wanted to participate at the school, and you know. Anyway, so they gave me a few hoops to jump through. I had to do some inner healing, some sozos. I had to join the men's sexual purity group. And some counseling, you know, some conversion therapy type stuff. And so I did all those Oof. things. And, you know, at the time, it's like, cool, whatever. 
uh, I'm going to get through this. But in hindsight, I'm like, God, some of those things that they said to me, the things that they made me do or like required of me, like that was really inhumane and inappropriate. And like, yeah. I didn't, again, I didn't know any better back then. So I just went through it. But now I look back and I'm like, that was really harmful and like really messed with how I understood myself and was able to move forward in my life and experience really intimate and important parts of myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's really sad in hindsight and like awful and a big part of why, you know, I speak out and do the stuff that I do now. But um, anyway, did all those things. And so a few people in that process knew that I struggled with being attracted to men or with same sex attraction or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I struggle with being attracted <laughs> to men, guys. I'll be honest, sometimes it's a struggle, you know? We're not that great. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> My friend who's a lesbian always says to me, curly thigh hairs, Sarah. You're into curly thigh hairs. And I'm like, stop it. That's like, she can't get past it. She's like... <laughs> She just does not understand being straight at all. She's like, it's whatever. You're hopeless. <laughs> like, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's that whole thing. You're just, you're struggling with it. You wouldn't have used that language even for yourself. But to constantly hear something that comes naturally to you and, and is part of your identity, just like any of our sexuality is part of who we are, is is not okay. And you love this place. Yeah. yeah. You love this place. And these people. Yeah. So I was like, did you maintain a friendship with her, that girl? No. Probably. I mean, no. I did after the fact. We reconciled and whatever, but we just kept running into some like there's just a lot of like harmful, abusive behavior by this person, and it took me a long time mm-hmm. to figure that out. I had some other friends who had like distanced themselves from her, and they had really intensely negative things to say about their yeah. friendship and experience. And I was with them anyway, so I was like a later person to that realization. But I was like, oh yeah, this is awful. What am I doing? So we're not friends anymore, but. Mm-hmm. I was so deeply closeted that I thought that Bethel was helping me. You know, like I thought doing all this stuff was actually like putting me on a path towards wholeness and Mm -hmm. healing. And I was so indoctrinated, right? So I spent most of my time at Bethel trying to get either like repressing any sexual impulse whatsoever or trying to like find someone who could fix it. And obviously nothing budged, nothing in the slightest shifted my attractions in any way. But yeah, then toward the, it was 2020 when I had some pretty rude awakenings and that's when my coming out process and experience began. And as that's beginning, you're obviously, had you seen anyone go through it in your community? Like, did you know where it was headed? Ah, all I had seen at that point, that's an interesting question. All I had seen from people who were gay at Bethel was that they left And sometimes it looked like they went off the deep end. And again, like I'm going to talk about these people in a way that is dehumanizing and inaccurate because that's who I was when those things happened. Yeah. I remember a few different, especially worship leaders, right? Like leave Bethel. It's a thing thing for sure. (laughs) And they were, and you know, when they were there, I'm like, I'm like, this person's gay. You know, like you just kind of know that or like assume it and just be like, oh man, that sucks. What a bummer. You know, like, oops here we are. That's, yeah. But they would leave and then you would kind of see them just get kind of quiet or like get ghosted by the whole community or they would start posting things on social media and just get really loud and angry and have like really unchristian things to say. And you're like, oh, you know, they always look like villains or like they went off the deep end. So when you're in that bubble, like you perceive people doing that in a certain light. So when my process started, I knew where this was going. I knew what was going to happen to me. I don't know. I didn't assume I would behave the same way that I'd seen other people behave, but I knew I'd get treated the same way they were treated. And I was mm. like, this sucks. You know, and that was a it's lot. It's danger, worse. right? Yeah. 
for sure. It's danger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anytime people, if you're in a community and you start to shift in a way that other people have seen to shift and it moves away from the quote unquote community, the easiest thing to do is like, that's dangerous. That's of the world. No one's like, wow, that looks fun out there. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I, we often talk about it because even people who leave for a different career are, are often shocked. Like my friends who are pastors no longer talk to me because I'm no longer someone who understands the struggles of being a pastor. And it's like, but we were, were we friends? Were we friends? Were we just part of the same system? What happened? And that's not the same way. Like when someone no longer is a doctor at a hospital, the whole hospital isn't like, well, I guess we can't talk to them anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. They wear different colored scrubs now. Right. Like it's just like the weirdest reaction, but it's how we stay keeping people within the system because you fear losing your whole community because it's not actual fear. It's true. And even those who are like polite to you are hoping that at some point you'll say something on social media that they can be like, oh, that's why. Okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah, that's, totally. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing too when you get into ministry that like we're going to lock your beliefs in. We got to lock who you are in. Like this, this, this is who you are and you've signed up. And now, you know, those, those of you that are fortunate enough to retire from ministry are going to be the same, you know, going to be the same basically person when you retire as you are today. And so like, yeah, like growth, changing your mind, even asking questions is like, no, we like the time for that was before you joined. Uh, Now that you've joined and you've signed (laughs) this, this statement of belief, like, you're done. And yeah, it's, it's, it's always surprised. It still surprises me. The pastors, people that are currently in ministry, the ones that have stuck with me and the ones that have ghosted me, it's surprising every time, like on both sides, like, like, Oh, I would have totally thought you wrote me off. And like this one person is my friend. And then there's another person that's like, Hey, I thought we were like actual friends and you refuse to talk to me and you've unfriended and unfollowed Mm -hmm. me on everything. Well, and when it's around sexuality, it's scary too, because for a lot of people still in that community, they aren't willing to recognize their own or there's that fear, right? Like, what if I could fully be myself? That doesn't seem right. And that's like, I've been working really hard to get away from this thing. So you become a dangerous yeah, like um, person in some ways, which is scary. So you came, did you go to the, I don't know how it's, is there a board? I don't, is there a person? I don't know how it works. <laughs> is there an inquisitorial? <clears throat> I don't think anybody knows how it works. What was that? Is that an inquisitorial commission or something? Yeah. All I literally knew about your community was a good friend of mine worked um, as a worship leader, surprise, surprise. And uh, the rights to his music were crazy. Like I was around him right after he was um, leaving and like could not create anything and not have it be part and anything. Like literally almost like my brother's engineering stuff where like it's considered what's the word proprietary yeah it's yeah it's proprietary but it's like con anything that you even think of while you're there it's their intellectual property like they intellectual love that i couldn't remember the word intellectual guys i don't know what that says it's early in the morning for me it's early you're fine you are sacrificing for this conversation yes i I was excited about it i don't mind getting up (laughs) except for i would like to talk about the coffee shop that wasn't open at 7 a.m and i find that a little or 6 a.m i find that rude yeah that's pretty rude yeah that we're the most desperate people who are at your door at 6 a.m please (laughs) yeah so did how did the process go because I think one of the things that's lovely, both you and um, our friend Kevin do this really lovely work of helping people 
with their story, helping people figure out ways to, because you're, you're not going to be able to protect how other people receive it, but you guys do such a great job of like helping people create space for themselves to be able to reveal who they need to reveal it to at first and, and stuff like that. But it was that, was that were had you, did you have a hedge of protection as you went in? <laughs> how did you sort of begin the process? And then obviously, because the reaction wasn't what you were hoping for. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, like best case scenario. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was well, so I came out to some close friends first. I just kind of started filling them in on what was happening. Before I knew where this was going or what the end result was going to be, I was just like, this is happening. I'm gay. And I'm going to be accepting that about myself. Mm. This isn't going to change. But for me, and I, you know, I feel wary saying this on this side, depending on which audience I'm in front of. But like, for me, it was like, God wants me to be gay. Like God Mm. wants me like this. God is protective of this aspect of who I am. Despite my best efforts and years of wrestling and resisting, like this won't. That gives you goosebumps because you got to, yeah, it wasn't resisting your faith. It was embracing Yeah, it. it was actually like me, yeah, moving forward in my faith and my conviction. So I, I got to a point where I just like my spiritual conviction was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to embrace, which I know is unique. That's not a lot of people's experiences coming out, but um, that was mine. And I was doing this because I was trying to be as faithful as I was capable of being at that point in my relationship with God and who I knew God to be. I had, I had had some pretty explicit experiences with God where I understood them telling me, I want you to be gay, which again, like I know yeah. that's not common, but that was the onset of my pilgrimage that landed me in YWAM that took me to Reading. Like, I mean, like it was always about my sexuality and I didn't want to know that. So it took like 16 years of these experiences before I finally in 2020 was ready to like respond. So I told some close friends, and they, you know, were a little overwhelmed, didn't know what to do. They loved me, trusted me, but this was like controversial, volatile, dangerous territory. So we got to work through that. Um, and then I started talking to some leaders at Bethel. And the thing is, there was no like due process for me. And I think this is probably common for a lot of people, depending on what level of leadership you have at Bethel. There's not like a clear path on who you're supposed to talk to or who you're supposed to report to. And I was probably more of a variable because I wasn't working for Bethel at that time. I was still teaching in the school. I was still taking interns. I was still leading mission trips, but I was doing all of that for free. So kind of like we were talking about Janice, like all that was volunteer. I did it for fun. I did it because I wanted to. Yeah. So I went to the couple of leaders that I looked up to and who were part of my process at some point in my sexuality journey. And I hoped that they would at least hear me and like maybe be considerate. Like what if God is actually saying this to me? What if this is true? What if we could talk about this? That's like... That's what I was hoping for was just like, a, oh gosh, what an invitation. What a big moment that could have been right. for agreed for mm-hmm. just the nation for just like the, <laughs> the nation. and I say nation, nation because like, guys, here's the thing for some. Yes. in Canada, because Bethel, <laughs> man, it is fascinating. Even cultures that are not evangelical have been affected by the Bethel movement, the Hillsong movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, get some good jams and people will like, it can absolutely, Yeah. I mean, Taylor Swift, if it tells us anything, people <laughs> like, people will get behind some of this and it like becomes identity. And, and then if it becomes identity, it means it can harm your identity. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I can't, I can't imagine a, a church like that. You know, we talked about Baptists earlier, like Rick Warren deciding maybe having ovaries doesn't mean you can't talk. Like, mm-hmm. like that was like, and people are like, oh my gosh, now I can go to seminary, like everything's different. Yeah. And, you know, some of us are like a little too late, a little too, you know, Wow, it took you 54 buddy. years um, to come to that but, conclusion. 
I know. Um, bless when it doesn't harm you at all. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, a, I have a tough time with allyship in any form when there's no risk. I get it. Like some of his dude bros, theology bros are questioning him, but he's, he's like retiring. He can say whatever he wants. I say all that to say, had that moment, that invitation for them to shift their theology, it could have been mm-hmm. like such a boom. Yeah. Agreed. Around the, Cause like we're looked at, at like crazy progressives, right? Yeah. Like for me to be like, I actually think like you are made in the image of God. People are like, oh, you think everything, you know, like it's just your, the it's muted. But for people who have that kind of former, yeah, of Christianity to have been like, let's pause and see. It would have been huge. It would have been. been. It would have been. Yeah, you're right. I agree. Uh, it would have been massively impactful. And so I hope like maybe so, and I I also figured like it would be years before Bethel would even like budge in a direction. But if there was a willingness and we could have conversation, I would have stuck it out with them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with every conversation I had with every leader I talked to, it was immediately no go. There was yeah. n- zero consideration. They let me say my piece and then they told me what I needed to do moving forward and how yeah. I needed wow. to progress. And it was the opposite of everything I was excited sacrificed for and understood in my spiritual journey up to that point. And by that point, I knew like I could not pander to the religious authorities I'd been so afraid of and subservient to up to this point. That's how Mm -hmm. I got in the compromised position I was in at that point. So I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I could feel the doors closing as the conversations went the way that they did Mm -hmm. in my own heart. I was like, I can't stay here. I can't do this. I'm not jumping through more hoops. I'm not lying anymore. I'm not pretending I'm not going to be complicit with this harmful institution anymore. I can't do any of this. I can't do it. So those conversations, I tried giving leaders there that had a relationship with me a chance and they all blew it. You know, there was like zero listening. It was awful and frustrating. They were cordial. They were polite. They were like respectful of me as a person, but actually listening to like the deepest, most painful and significant process that I was going through at that point in my existence failed utterly, like no listening. It was really frustrating and sad. So that was like a very quick, like, okay, I got to get out of here. I can't stay here anymore. This is crazy. Like these people do not know how to listen. Yeah. This is unsafe for me and people like me. And so then I started hunting for like, how do I, where am I going to go? Yeah. Wow. And you had a, at that point you already had a bit of a platform because of being a a teacher and then you were a speaker at the time yeah i was traveling and speaking all over as a conferences workshops churches yeah and i loved it i I mean i want to be doing that again i i don't know if i want to do it in churches anymore but like i want to do that i love like public speaking and teaching yeah but i was doing that and i knew like i was going to lose all those things and sure enough exactly all that stuff it's interesting like that when you get into ministry and you're good at that like that's one thing that you don't that's not so like immediately transferable into the corporate world or wherever you go next, you know, like there's not, <laughs> there's not a speaking circuit just like randomly for folks. Right. Sarah, but there Sarah is. and I you are trying to, to make one, what you're, if we can, uh, but um, we miss it, but it's, it can, you, you end up missing it or you just don't get it as much. And, um, yeah. and gosh, Mike, so much of your story. I mean, I, I didn't have the sexual, my personal sexuality piece attached to it. So it's very removed for me. But like, I, I do remember that feeling of like having the the big meeting with the board and being like, Ugh. I'm going to shoot my shot and it may not work, but like, this is an opportunity for this church to be something more than just conservative church number six in this town. And 
like I remember those feelings and I don't, it, sometimes I'm like, I wonder if it was like just delusions of grandeur, maybe a bit, but it was like, like, this is my opportunity. Like, and I, I'm not going to miss this moment, but like, it feels like everyone in that room missed it. And you know, then you, yeah, you got to dust your feet off and that's, that's such, that's so hard. I love how you frame it as an invitation. Like you were yeah, inviting them so cool. and they missed it. Yeah. Like they missed it. Yeah. Has anyone ever anyone anyone turned a corner and chatted with you since you mean like on leadership at Bethel yeah well you don't have to say but folks that had those conversations with you has there been because I found like I I had an experience where I went to a a luncheon I was invited to first of all they thought they were really progressive because they there was a lady uh in the group because it was um all the lead pastors of our city and I they had a whole thing about whether or not to invite me and one one gentleman was pretty sure I shouldn't be invited. <laughs> and so he spent my first meeting talking about how you should schedule sex with your wife. And part of me, part of me wanted to lie and say, I should schedule sex with my wife, except I'm not queer. So I didn't want to do that. But I, so I'm in this meeting and this guy gets up there, he starts talking about his miracle family. And I was like, oh my gosh, he like went through infertility. This is an interesting story. Um, plot twist. No, he was still gay, but said he wasn't gay and had met his wife, but he had been living in sin in Palm Springs, which sounded like a lot of fun. Um, He was like talking and every guy in the room was looking at me like, what is the progressive going to do? Because a lot of my families were queer at my community. And I was like, you know, he was talking about how God saved him from that and blah, blah, blah. But some of the guys that were like, oh, this is so great. Like to hear you can like later, like a week later, we're like, that didn't sound right. Can you but I was surprised because they were the ones that I was so shocked. Have you had any of those turn around? <laughs> I've had a couple, you know, leaders, former leaders of Bethel try and like broach conversation with me, but um, I've not seen anybody turn around, at least at that tier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple like reach out who were like someone at Bethel at some point and probably and aren't anymore who are affirming and I was surprised. And like aggressively mm-hmm. affirming and like really strong allies. And I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. But, you know, we've all left Bethel. So no one at Bethel who's still part of the institution or the, the machine has turned that I've personally experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever yeah. at Bethel is listening and to this so- is like, oh, man, we were worried. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like secret. <laughs> <laughs> we thought maybe. <laughs> I mean, that is the, it's the hard part too, because you know people that are still involved um, in the participatory side of it. And so you know that the action is still going to be if somebody says, hey, this is who I am, that you know what the actions still are. Mm-hmm. And they include therapy that tells you there's something super broken about you. Um, yeah, they're also going to demonize your family members and your childhood. And they're going to like mm-hmm. put experiences on you that didn't happen. It's, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh man. Like I mean, I know it's true, guys. I don't know why I'm shocked every time. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, don't do that. It's like a movie. I know where it's going and yet. I hated that when I mean people don't realize that I think, but like conversion therapy doesn't just harm or target the queer individual. It goes after their family members. It goes after yes. their parents. Wow. It goes it demonizes and vilifies their early childhood relationships and it causes a lot of pain in those spaces. I had some really awkward and painful conversations with family members because I was trying to find who molested me, who did something to me as a kid that made me, you know, whatever. 
And those are really awkward, uncomfortable conversations. My family was like, what? No, what do you, you know, like, oh God, how do we support mm-hmm. you in this thing you're trying to do, but also like recover our dick, you know, it was awful. And your family is not affirming. Is that correct? My parents are not correct. Yeah. I, ugh, it Again, and I, I'm so sorry, but it, it makes your voice really powerful because it's very easy mm. for me to say being an ally my parents are very affirming. Like my parents were more like concerned and confused why I like at one point I told them that I thought homosexuality was like being an alcoholic. My dad's a doctor and he's like, that's factually incorrect. Like he did not know. I was like, I love gay people. It's just like, it's like they chew. And my dad was just like, like the number of times my parents gave each other looks like, what the hell is wrong with this kid? Sarah, that's wrong about sexuality and alcoholism. (laughs) Both of those are wrong. wow, we thought we raised you better than that is different than how other people <laughs> experience that. But for me, it was like, no, I can say I being an ally has been hard in a lot of other spaces, but it hasn't been hard in my family. And I think you having that voice that says, I'm still here and I'm still engaging this conversation and I'm still in a painful situation with my own family. And here are some boundaries that have helped me be who I am and be able to hold on to my own um, self and sanity. I think that gives us such a lovely voice because there's a lot of people telling you that you're not okay. And mm-hmm. the beauty is that you can say, no, all right, I'm doing okay. Like I, I've left that thing for you. You still have this like beautiful, abundant faith. And, you know, I, it's so neat to see people like fully be themselves. Like there's nothing more fun for me to then see someone come out and think the world is going to end and the world just expands. Like, oh wow! I yeah. I just like your world is, and I only from from social media um, <laughs> can say like, well, some of the people I know that you know, I'm like, yeah, that's a great person, mm. and and I think you just it, it's hard to let go of that thing, but I think to see someone who has done it and done well, like even for us, the joke is like people see us have jobs and they're like, okay, I can't leave ministry yeah, because I can do it. you know you at that point you're finances weren't necessarily tied to Bethel, but they were, right? If you were getting jobs as a speaker, they were. They weren't technically like to Bethel, but they were tied to my right standing with Bethel and my right behavior as cosplaying as a straight man. Cosplaying (laughs) as a straight man. So as long as I was playing the part, like... polo. Yeah, uh, emotionally repressed. Oh no, no, honey, yeah. he was at Bethel, so he could do like a deep V. Oh, like okay. it's it's very like Pride and Bethel cross. It's like a Vin. If the Vin, nice. it's a circle. So queer coded straight like, man. Got it. It's a very. It's like very weird. It's like I'm the guy playing the guy playing the guy. Nice. Does that make sense? I love like it. <laughs> it's very like oh when you go to a coffee shop in Reading. My um ex boyfriend and I were driving. My we stopped in Reading. We we brought my. Airstream dad and he has no religious background. And so we were in Reading and we were <laughs> in a, a restaurant and all these guys came in with like tunics, like long, like very hip, like a Carl Lentz moment. Mm-hmm. Like the t-shirt was very, like gave us so much chest and their wives. And, and I, I don't know why, but I, I just turned to my that boyfriend. I was like, Oh, they all work at this one church. And he was like, how do you know? And I was like, Oh, I know. <laughs> and then they sat down and they were talking so loudly about like, 
I don't know what it was exactly, but he was like, oh, how did you do that? And I was like, well, first of all, those shoes, that <laughs> he was like, this is the outfit. He's like, they just look like, yeah. he's like, they just look like guys from LA to me. And I was like, no, no, it's a look. It's an mm-hmm. absolute, they're wearing Air Jordans with like, like it's, it's, it's a look. Um, it's a uniform, and, yeah. and like you say, you were pretending and then you, you know, you, you're risking did you lose your speaking engagements immediately or was it like a trickle effect? Well, it wasn't until I came out publicly. I would, So there was okay. a window of time where I came out to my everyone I felt accountable to on a personal level. And then me coming out publicly, it was probably about eight months of in between places. And I still had some speaking gigs in between. And when mm-hmm. I moved to Nashville, I came here to be around a certain mentor. And we would meet up regularly, right? And then at one point, I told him that I had just come back from a speaking gig in Washington State. And he's like, well... Are they affirming of of queer people? I was like, no. And he goes, oh, you're still doing that, huh? Oh, and it just wow. like was a knife through my heart. And I was like, oh, what? And so I was like, can you please tell me it was Stan Mitchell? It's, because then yeah, yeah, like, it's Stan Mitchell. Shut up. Yes. Because I, I know he said it. Oh, you're still doing that. Yes, huh? he did. He, had a whole... he said that to me about so many God, things. Like, yes. Nice. The accent makes it less effective, but it does not hurt any less, Dan. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know. I, just like, I, I grew up around way too many people with that accent, like authoritative figures. So I'm like, oh, I know that. Like, that's. I love him so much. And he could just cut to it. Oh, yeah, man. he did. He just cut right to me. And I was like, oh, God, can you say more words? And we just like talked it out. And so after that, I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do this anymore. So anyway, I came out publicly. And as soon as I did, within the next few days, every speaking gig I had lined up for the rest of the year was canceled. Like they all dropped yeah. me and, you know, which I, I, I knew they were going to do that, but it was just still painful to have to have those conversations yeah. and like experience like outright being utterly rejected because of who I am. You know, it's yeah. like, this is awful. But, yeah. yeah. And so since then you've created this, sorry, I was just going to say you've created this Social media. Did you come out on social media? Was that the public? Yeah, social media. Yeah. So all the spaces that I was publishing content, I shared my YouTube video of my coming out story, and also some pretty like bracing, you know, pieces of writing. Just like, mm-hmm. here's what I can't participate in anymore. Here are some crimes that the church are, is currently committing that are unacceptable. You know, whatever. I was explicit. There was like it was not vague or ambiguous. Um, so that was like a shit storm. There's a cuss word, right? Yeah, it was a mess. Well, you did it. I did it. Hey. Um, so yeah, that was like months of volatility. And like, I mean, I had never been accused of being possessed by a demon or, you know, following Satan or being a false prophet, like uh, that I could remember. And then all of a sudden it was a daily occurrence in like such colorful graphic language. And it was mm-hmm. shocking. It was shocking. I just... I had been told it was going to be horrible and specifically like the evangelicals were going to be the worst. I'd been told that by several people, you know, that had pulled into my world and they were exactly right. It was shocking. It was, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so. It's, 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 but she'd already brutal. moved to the place where you had some, yeah, cushion. I had some cushion and distance and like safety around me. So I had a whole crew of people that like walked me through, you know, they like would read comments with me. We would schedule times like, okay, let's look at them. And then we would just, We'd laugh at things and process through them and grieve and enrage uh, together. You know, it was really wow. helpful. I'm really thankful for the people I had with me. That's so great. Yeah. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. 
You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Before we get too much further, I have a question. <laughs> that I can't imagine oh what God, that question is going to be. Yeah, um, He's been sitting on this the whole been, time. And it's time He's for He's like, it to great, you're queer. You take care so of a lot of people. That's it. awesome. Yeah. So happy for We're you. We're just going to have a little <laughs> but... comedic speed bump here um, before we get into what you're doing now. So you were at events at Bethel. So I feel like you are perfectly positioned to answer this question for me. I've had a lot of friends, like a surprising number of friends that were at Bethel, quote unquote, that saw the Lord appear. And I'm not going to doubt, I'm not even going to doubt the experience. I just want to ask this question. And and then that the Lord appeared with this glittery, shimmery something in the air. And when I say surprising, I mean, there are people that I'm like, this, this guy's legit straight shooter. That's like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. This happened. And God was there. So you can confirm, you can deny, whatever. I'm just going to open it up. It, what is with the glitter at Bethel? <laughs> and um, do I need to convert back to Christianity? Or is like, what is, <laughs> what is, what is happening? For the glitter? For the glitter. <laughs> I'm here for the glitter, guys. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Buckle up, children. Here we go. Okay. Helmets on. Yeah. I just, I also just want to apologize in advance. I'm sorry for what I'm about to tell you. Okay, um, but I'm going to tell you what I'm about to say to you is my God's honest truth. This is what I experienced. Okay, cool. So when I came to Bethel, I had heard when I got hired on staff, I had heard specifically more back behind the scenes stories of a glory cloud of gold dust. Yeah, of like gold glitter. Like there are different forms and verbiage people would use to try and express things they'd seen. Um, the guy who's in charge of maintenance pulled out his video one time, his phone, and showed me some clips of. Like, I don't know, I guess gold glitter swirling through the air. I watched a video in the Bethel Sanctuary of this. I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know what, what, what the hell is this? What is this? I, cause I'd never seen anything like that. And this guy was also like, not a super, like a very superstitious person. Although I'm like, if anybody's at Bethel, you know, like, or any of us not superstitious. Yeah. 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 Um, So there's that, there's that caveat. And when I came to Bethel, I was a pretty skeptical person. I, I consider myself pretty analytical, like intellectual, I think critically, I think, you know, even when I was there, I did that. And I had that reputation and people were really interested in my classes, I think, because I was really honest and like, you know, was like interested in accountability and like substantiating what you're claiming and where, you know, anyway, yeah. so that, that's who I am and how I function. And I went to a service one Sunday night. I had just gotten like started working at Bethel for a few months. It was uh, a Baptist baptismal service. So they had a Baptist. I'm so nervous. I know. Be nervous. I'm nervous. Um, There's a baptismal (laughs) tank on stage. I don't know. Doesn't know you feeling. (laughs) (laughs) So nervous. So (laughs) (laughs) this is not a funeral. During worship, people are being baptized on stage, right? And so people are cheering and whatever. And then somewhere halfway through the worship set, I'm on the right, front right side of the stage, like in the front, in the mosh pit type space, right? Like standing in the mosh, mosh pit, pit or whatever. Like I'm in that space. The Jesus mosh yeah. pit. Yeah. And then on the left side, left front side of the sanctuary, you hear a bunch of screaming randomly out of nowhere. And so you kind of look over and you see hands at the bottom where people are pointing. They're all pointing up and I'm looking and I'm like, what are they pointing at? What's happening? And it, the room kind of starts to shift. So they'll be like, what's going on over there, right? Because there, there's like an uproar that people are freaking out. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there's a kid like, I'm getting baptized. <laughs> right. Hello? Take a well, people, are also, <laughs> people are also screaming and cheering every time someone would emerge from the tub too. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, 
a pep rally or whatever, but yeah. there was a concentrated, like prolonged uproar in the front left corner. And then probably two minutes later, there starts to be screaming where I'm standing, like all around me and people are pointing and whatever, pointing up. And I look up above where the worship team is, right? Just in the air. And I swear to God or the universe or source energy or divine love or whatever the hell you believe in anymore. <laughs> this is what I saw. Mm -hmm. I did not see a cloud. I did okay. not see glitter. I saw little flecks of golden light flashing in the air mm -hmm. like all over the sanctuary like and i looked behind me and it was in the air behind me it was just in the air and it was it, it was erratic and unpredictable to the point where i just stared at like empty space and just watched in my peripherals as all these unexplainable flecks of light were flashing and sparking in the air and i was trying to figure out is this like a, like a light show? Is there, how are they doing this? What is going on? And people are screaming and freaking out. Some people are weeping. Some people are falling on the floor and like worshiping God. And I just stood there. My mouth was probably open. I just stared. I didn't know how to process what I was looking at. I did not know what to do with this information. It didn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I know Bethel has a lot of different kinds of reputations and stories and myths and whatever. And I can't corroborate with the cloud or the dust or whatever, but... You saw gold light. I saw golden flashes of flickered light. That other people were experiencing. Everyone was pointing and screaming. We all saw the same thing. And we were like, mm -hmm. what? Exactly. I don't know that I just assumed, oh, it's God. I think I was like, I'm very open. like Because I don't, you're like, why? Why would God do any of these things? It, yeah. You know, it doesn't rationally make sense. But then, you know, when you're at Bethel, it's like a whole other way of understanding this stuff. I don't know what to do with what happened. And I have lots of stories like this. I don't know what to do with some of these things that I mm -hmm. saw. But what I can't deny I is that I saw. don't know what to do with this story either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, like, I don't want to just erase. I can't just erase these experiences because that would yeah. be dishonest and unethical. Yeah. But I also don't know. I have some of those. Yeah. I don't know that I'm just jumping to conclusions like this means this. Like just because these people who experience this conclude these, go to these conclusions means that's what that is. I don't think we have the authority to, to decide that. So I don't know what it means or where it came from or how it worked. But as as far as like maintaining my integrity, I'm like, there was something and maybe we all had a mass hysterical, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like just a mass what do you call it when people have or, like a, yeah, maybe it was a mass hallucination. Like a like I've, yeah. I've seen in psychology, that's a thing. So like, okay, maybe I experienced something like that. I've never experienced anything like that since, uh, anyway. Well, and you weren't willing. So for me, a lot of the people that go into those mass hysteria, they're willing to. So it's like a different, hmm. it's not a skeptic being drawn okay. into it. Yeah. Because you are more skeptical, you're less likely to have experienced a, a mass, like, uh, whatever. Yeah. Like more, like uh, people standing around expecting gold to come dropping from <laughs> are more likely to then experience it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Like I went on a ghost tour and I saw a, like a, a, curtain move and i was like nope nope yes. don't like I it don't like this. do not like it <laughs> see when i go <laughs> on a like ghost it. tour they were like there was one where they were like this little kid will maybe come up and try to hold your hand if you were just quiet you know and i'm like please hold my hand ghost child and they never come <laughs> okay so, here's like, the I, thing too, i want right? to believe this stuff and it never happens to me like because i'm the person that's like i'm primed and ready show me mystery and mm. it doesn't happen so i'm yeah. like I remember being in college, like I came from Canada, so we didn't really have this like same stuff about different understanding about Jesus. And I, you know, I'm at the, I've become, I moved to the South. I become, 
you know, a, a Christian. And I remember literally praying, Jesus, I believe you're real. Please don't show up in my room. <laughs> like, please don't, don't, don't appear. It was like the opposite prayer to most people. I'm like, I don't want any sign. I don't want any sort of don't move anything. I treated Jesus like he was a poltergeist. Like, I need you to not show up. I like the opposite. I love this. <laughs> I mean, I just like, guys, I just like, I want no mystical anything I want because it. it's, it scares me so much. This is amazing. <laughs> it just scares me. So when things show up for me, I'm like, okay, this must be something, but no, no, thank you. <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me laugh when I hear people are like afraid of those things. Like, it seems like a pretty common response is like to run, get away. I don't want that. You know, I'm so intrigued. Like when I would hear all these deliverance stories, I'm like, I want to see someone get thrown across the room. I want to see oh, it. Like what it. are demons doing? Show me. I want to see it. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm so intrigued. Can I see so, this well, it's a different. I had sleep paralysis as a kid. Like that'll, that, I mean, I thought that was a demon for a long time. I was like, and then I was yeah. like, nope, do not want, but no, it's, yeah. it was just sleep paralysis. <laughs> anyway, thank you for engaging in this side. Like it's, I, I feel like some true crime podcast out there or not true crime, true mysteries. I don't know, like needs to do an episode on this. Cause I'm, maybe it'll be me. I feel like I need to get to the bottom of this and you've given me more motivation to, Pursue this mystery. Go find out, Justin. Yes. Expose the truth. <laughs> yeah, let us know. On? There's like some like lighting guy who's like, and here we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 there's a part of me that's like, okay, maybe it was a mystical experience. Great. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm open to that. But then there's another part of me is like, is there a secret events coordinator that's like behind the scenes? Like, all right, let's do the <gasps> well, light show Mike, tonight. And then there was a guy. <laughs> Okay, listen, if we're going to give the full scope of this, let me give you two more pieces of this story. The first piece is I had been at Bethel for two and a half years up to that point. And so I went through two years of ministry school, which in that experience, students are constantly like literally every day falling out in the spirit, getting drunk in the spirit, manifesting. Like I had to learn a whole new vernacular to understand what this stuff meant in this environment. But people were like laughing in the spirit, you know, rolling around, having euphoric, ecstatic experiences. And I'm like, I don't know how much this is real, but if any of it's real, I would love to experience that. And not one day ever in my entire two years of being at ministry school did that ever happen to me. Leaders praying for me, worship things, you know, like students, just all the things I never, ever once slightly happened. And so I was one of like 12 students in the whole classroom, whole like student body who'd be standing there while everyone else is on the floor in their seats, like flopping around. And it was humiliating, right? I was actually like the outcast or not. I wasn't looked down upon for it, but like I was a minority of people who weren't having those experiences and I would not fake it. Like I'm not interested in like mm-hmm. faking yeah. my way into just being part of what everyone else is experiencing. I'm like what, what do you, so that was my background. And then that night that happened and I had never experienced anything like that up to that point. So I'm like, what is this? What do I, yeah. and then later we did a fire tunnel, you know, people are going through, you know, you're laying hands on them and they're having these ridiculous, like, you know, ecstatic experiences or whatever. I go to my boss on the side of the stage. I'm about to leave. My housemates are there with me and she and this other pastor are on their knees with someone between them. I'm going to shorten the story. Long story short, these two were drunk in the spirit, which to this day, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do because the guy locked me in a headlock and like was rocking me back and forth and was prophesying in my ear and saying some things. And he, when he so he was already a pretty effeminate dude, but when he was drunk in the spirit, he became overtly, he sounded like an overtly flaming homosexual, right? Like he just had such a flamboyant way of speaking. Wow. And 
as he's like rocking me and like muttering these like prophecies, he's like, I feel like a, a very gay man is prophesying over me in this moment. And I just like watched this sparkly, whatever. I don't know. Something happened. I just couldn't. But then when he was, what he was saying started to hit me in a way that was like, Oh my God, I think this is real. I think this is true. I think that's going to happen. It had started having that like, wow, you know, mysterious divine edge to it. And I just started laughing because I didn't know how to compute and what to do with anything that was going on. I was like, this is absurd. But also I think this is like valid or legitimate. And so Mm -hmm. at some point as I started laughing, I like lost control of my legs and I like collapsed and I'm like laughing because it's hilarious. And I remember my housemates are waiting for me. So I got up and I was like, I got to go. Bye. Love you guys. Walked away. I get about five rows down the aisle of the seats and my housemates walking toward me. He's like, Mike. And so we're walking toward each other. And I veer to the left and collapse into the seats. And he comes up to me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I just fell over. And he like laughed and helped me up. And we're walking to the back room. I'm like, slow down. I was like, my legs are so happy. And that was the beginning of the end of that night for me. I lost my mind. I was so happy and wow. so euphoric. And I told several people I'd never met in my life that I loved them. I hugged strangers. I was not that person. I did not behave that way. It was altering. I'd never been high. I'd never been drunk. I'd never experienced any kind of you know substance that would alter my state. I felt so good. I went to bed that night like pleading with God. I'm like, please do not let, let me wake up tomorrow different. I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. I never want to not feel like this. And the next day I woke up and I was normal. I was so disappointed. But that that experience also changed the way that I hugged people from that point on. Like my behavior in physical affection was altered. Something happened to me that night. I've never experienced anything like that since. I've had moments that were kind of hinting to going to that state of consciousness a couple of times, like on mission trips and things but nothing to that degree. And that was the same night the light show sparkly thing took place. So I don't know what to do with that. I don't know. Um, Maybe you don't have to. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love, I love, I joked around about not loving mystical things, but I think sometimes the best thing for me is to just let it, yeah, just let it be what it is and, and try to transcend and include and say, Mm -hmm. yeah, I leave space open for, you know, we always joke that we don't want to be fundamentalists in one direction or the other. Like, I'm not interested in telling people what they did not experience, if it's not harmful to others mm, or no. taking advantage of them, totally. obviously. But, wow. So, Mike, what are you up to these days <laughs> other than chasing yeah. that high? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I just saw a guy who posted something. He was like, I've been chasing the Scholastic Book Fair high the whole time of my life. <laughs> I'm like... I feel the same way. I love the Scholastic book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are chasing that like happy legs. I'm gonna call you happy legs from now oh, on. God. Yeah, I mean, listen. If there, if I knew a way to get back into that space to be to go there in myself, I would do it in a heartbeat. When we're not recording, I can tell you some ways to get back in that space. <laughs> there's oh, yeah, there are some can. things you can do. <laughs> put you right back there. Happy Justin. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Sorry. The question is, what do I do? What am I up to now? Yeah. What are you up to now? We want to make sure we share it with oh. folks. Um, we, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I put a lot of content out there. I'm actively trying to like just create pieces of content to articulate my experience, to speak to people who are still probably me five years ago, me 10 years ago. Like I want to try and just help, especially closeted queer kids in evangelical spaces. Like know that that's not it. That's not the end. They don't have to live like that. There's freedom on the other side. You don't have to walk away from your faith, your spirituality to be who you are. Anyway, so that's like a big like 
drive for me. And Instagram is probably the most dramatic and prolific space that I work in. I have a podcast called Confessions of a Reformer. Um, I have a YouTube channel, uh, Mike Myashiro. So I'm putting out content in those ways. I have a website, MikeMyashiro.com. And so I do coaching, consultation. I have a team of coaches who work with me. I also hold like group space for people to come in and have like more of a group dynamic uh, to process through whether you're deconstructing or you're a queer person with evangelical background and family members that you're trying to like survive and work through. Like I hold spaces and work with people in, in that. So that's kind of the gist of what I do at this point. Oh, Mike, it's so great. And I am so grateful that just our paths cross and you have been such a big part for friends of mine and um, yeah. that we never met before is incredible. I know. So grateful for you taking the time this morning and this evening, this afternoon, whenever people are listening <laughs> to this. Thanks for just taking the time. Yeah. And we can't wait to follow up with you and see kind of where this this journey is leading you. Because uh, it is. You're still doing such incredible stuff. And uh, mostly Justin's going to be like, did you see this light again? Did you see the dust? Did you see the light again? <laughs> That's going to be his <laughs> biggest question. <laughs> Friends, thank you for joining us for another episode of Recovery. And I do want to point out something that I think is pretty unique about um, Mike's work. And that is Mike's ability to speak to folks who are doing allyship work as well. So not just for folks who are queer. I just want to say just a great follow. Kind of to see how how we can stand in some gaps for folks. I think you do a great job Thank of you. giving suggestions. Yeah. And, mm, cool. and uh, Jess and I often talk about, we don't want to be part of uh, dismantling stuff. We're about generative things because there's, there's a lot of things that should be torn down, absolutely. But we also want to make sure that we're building and um, putting things into the world. So thank you, Mike, so much for doing that. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I was honored yeah, to be thanks. here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreon.com slash recovery. Now we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Rev Covery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us and let's keep the conversation going. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around to the very end for the poem, but it's not a poem today. It's a quote. But it's a quote by a poet, so is it? Is it a poem? I don't know. Um, we'll find out. Uh, but thank you so much for sticking around. And I wanted to just leave with this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and because I think it it really summarizes a lot of what this interview is about, and I think what recovery is about. So I'm going to share this quote really quickly with you, and hopefully it lands and works on you a little bit this week. It says this. To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. I think so many of us have experienced this to one degree or another in ministry, having to become someone you are not. And this interview was definitely a picture of that, but I think a lot of us have these moments. And, and I just want to say becoming who you are, coming to terms with it, discovering yourself, this is a noble and worthy cause. And one that is not inherently selfish because ultimately people that are understand themselves and who they are, are good for the world, are good for the community. And uh, we've seen that over and over again. So I just want to encourage you 
to try as, as much as you can a little bit each day to be a little bit more yourself because that I think is your greatest accomplishment. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.